Welcome. Thanks for being with us here in the sanctuary, also online. It's a real privilege and honor to, to share with you. And so uh, this morning we're continuing a series about invitation, and today in particular we're looking at the invitation to formation. Please pray with me and then we'll begin. Father, uh, we'll just pause now and thank you for the privilege of gathering within the walls or online to listen for your voice. And our prayer is that we would hear your voice and be shaped by your spirit in order that we might be people of hope in our broken and frightened and lonely world. Thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This last week, I listened to a podcast entitled, How Did the Church Lose Its Mind? And that was, that was the title that grabbed me, and so I just kind of clicked on it and listened. Russell Moore was the host. He is a Christian... Um, He's a, he's a guy associated now with Christianity Today, doing things about culture. His guest was David Brooks, who's a New York Times columnist. And uh, so the conversation as it unfolded began this way. Uh, Russell asked David, he said, hey, at this moment in history that looks so bad, are things really worse? Or is it just that we know more now? We have access to so much with the 24-7 news cycle and uh, social media influences and influences uh, and access to information that way. Maybe things are no worse. It's just that we know more. And here's David Brooks' response, and I'm quoting, oh, no, things are worse, much worse. And then he goes on to give these statistics. He says, uh, the number of people who say they have no close friends has quadrupled in a single generation. The number of people who commit suicide annually has risen by a third since the year 2000. The number of people suffering from depression is up 57% since the year 2000. 50% of Americans say no one knows me well. And opioid addiction, the, the, the curve as a pathology is exponential. Political polarization, exponential. Hate crimes, exponential. Traffic fatalities, exponential. Road rage, exponential. Homelessness, exponential. We got a problem. It's not just... We know more. Things are, like, actually worse. And then Brooks goes on and he says, you know, if you want to know the reasons, I could give you sociological reasons. In other words, our prosperity has created greater access to individualism and isolation. You can kind of make your own adventure now without anybody's help. Literally, you could live in a condo in downtown Seattle and with the click of a button have everything brought to you without ever encountering anyone let alone anyone of a different view. We're more, social, more, more socially isolated. Technology has created algorithms that feed polarization and anger and fear. Uh, economic systems are in place such that uh, now wealth is concentrated increasingly in the hands of fewer people and more people have less. And that creates its own sense of anger and uh, uh, disenfranchisement. And so Brooks says this, I love this, he says, we could talk about sociology or technology or economics, but he says, that's not the real issue. Those are all downstream problems. He says, if you swim upstream and you want to get to the core of this, like, why are things such a mess? This is, this is Brooks now, columnist for the New York Times. This is what he says. What's happening is, and I quote, a crisis of formation, formation. And what he means by that is he says, in the past... Collectively, as a culture, we were committed 
to helping one another be better people. Does that make sense to you? In other words, uh, we taught our kindergartners, don't spit on the sidewalk, don't chew gum in class, don't, you know, throw weapons at the teacher, et cetera, et cetera. Like, we just, we're teaching people to be better people. Much of that's gone by the way now. And so there's not this consideration of how am I on a journey toward transformation so that in increasing measure, I represent integrity and hope and justice and mercy and honesty. Like, that journey isn't happening. Uh, Peter wrote First Peter at a time of immense persecution. Uh, the church was scattered. People were arrested. Some had lost their property. Many, many were in jail. Some had lost their lives and, and, and martyrdom. And Peter's exhortation in the midst of a church suffering tremendously was not, uh, hey, arm yourselves in order to protect your stuff or storm the halls of power in Rome if things don't go your way or vilify your political opponents so that you can rise to power or vilify some class of people so that, so that you can kind of build a wall around your personal, upwardly mobile well-being. This is what Peter says, 1 Peter 2.12. And by the way, I'm reading from the, e, the ERV. Have you heard of it? It's literally the easily readable version of the Bible. I didn't even know such a thing exists, but it does. And so we read from the ERV this way. 1 Peter 2. People who don't believe are living all around you. They may say that you're doing wrong. So live such good lives that they will see the good you do and give glory to God on the day that he comes. In other words, work at creating a culture of healing, hope, joy, crossing social divides, beauty, connection, community, justice, generosity. That's the calling of the church. Work at that. And that kind of living is the byproduct of taking spiritual formation seriously. In other words, if we take formation seriously, that's the fruit, right? And so formation simply means this. We are relentlessly committed to allowing the character of Christ to be formed in us and revealed through us. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, he's sharing his testimony, he says, it please God to, and then if you fill in the blank, to, what does God want to do with you? It pleased God to make me rich. No. Fill me with doctrine that I can defend. No. Here's Galatians 1. It pleased God to reveal his son in me. In other words, God's grand design for your life and mine is that we would display nothing less than the hope, mercy, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, gentleness, all of the fruits of the Spirit, that we would display the character of Christ uniquely in our workplace, in our family, in our marriage, in our home, and as individuals when we're commuting on I-5 when all the south lane, uh, southbound lanes are closed south of I-90. So if you're heading that way, it'll take you four hours, right? And you'll be filled with gentleness. Why? Formation. That's the story. So how do we get there is kind of the question. And the answer is we need a culture of formation. So if you're a couple, you want to create a culture of spiritual formation. If you're a family, you want your kids to be in a culture where formation happens because culture happens to us. And we have to then, as, as Christ followers, create a formation culture that is transformative. Uh, when I was a kid in high school, I wasn't a good enough athlete to go to like track camp or basketball camp or baseball camp. 
but I did get to go to band camp, right? So in band camp, uh, we, uh, I was chosen to play timpani with an orchestra chosen from the Central Valley of California. And we went up into the Sierras and we learned for a week Beethoven's uh, Fifth Symphony. And then we played it for people who were in the National Park, Kings Canyon National Park. There's a little amphitheater there. So we, play, we played, and so we spent a week at band camp. I want to tell you, band kids are weird, right? <laughs> like, uh, I didn't kind of know that, really, because I, I didn't hang out with them. I was in band, but I didn't really hang out with band kids. But then I'm there, and so, you know, you practice all morning, and you're, you know, you're working on your... your piece that you're going to play. And then there's, you know, individualized instruction on this and that along the way. And there's free time. So what are, what are band kids doing free time? Like we're sitting around at lunch and we got free time in the afternoon. And I'm like, I got a Frisbee and everyone laughed. Frisbee? What? No, no. Here's what we're doing. We're going to take Coke bottles and fill them with water to different pitches. And we're going to do Beethoven's fifth blowing into Coke bottles. That'll be a fun afternoon. Yeah. Really? Not so much fun for me, but, the, but by the end of the week, the culture shapes you. Are you with me? By the end of the week, the culture shapes you. It's a culture that is formative. That's KSA, or that's the vision. Kids need to be formed into a culture where they know they're loved. So we're talking, when we're talking about spiritual formation, we're talking about creating a culture in our own heart, in our own marriage, in our own family, at a Bethany community church, so that formation kind of rubs off. And that culture needs to be defined by three verbs. What are they? Behold, right? And release and uh, offer. Behold, release, and offer. We're going to look at those three very briefly. Here we go. Behold. First, uh, Second Corinthians 3 says, as was read, we all beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed. I want you to notice here that beholding or behold, is the, it's the only active verb in that sentence. You're going to be transformed, but you don't transform yourself. Really good news. And we'll get into that in a minute. But if we gaze on the glory of the Lord, then by gazing on the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. And, and, and so I want to kind of unpack here, what does it mean to gaze on the glory of the Lord. Well, the glory of the Lord shows up in our lives in all kinds of places. The question isn't, is the glory of God here? The question is, are we paying attention? It's always the question. So the glory of God is in the text because we're told that Jesus is the embodiment of the glory of God. John 1.14, the word became flesh and we beheld, same word, we beheld God's glory by looking at Jesus. So you want to find the glory of God, read your Bible. And you'll see this trajectory of history that's redemptive, and you'll see the character of God unrelentlessly, you know, generous, forgiving, long-suffering, infinite, irrevocable love for you. It's all here. It's glorious. Read. That's a starting point, but it's not the end of it. The glory of God is in creation. The glory of God is in the animal kingdom. It's in the change of seasons. It's in the soil that's right outside this window. It's, it's, it's in fellowship. It's in community. It's in conversation. It's in brokenness. It's in confession. It's in forgiving. It's in truth-telling. It's in hard conversations. It's in sunrise, sunset, 
rainfall, sun after rain, shining on the wet drops on the, on the branches. It's in fresh blossoms. It's in the smell of the earth. It's in the taste of food. It's in the, it's in the taste of the coffee and, 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 and the wine. It's in intimacy. The glory of God's everywhere. Bam, wake up. That's what this text is saying. And, and like put on a lens so that your paradigm on a daily basis is this. Yeah, I got to make a living. Yeah, I got to commute. Yeah, I live in a world of Ukraine and, and political polarization and uncertainty about the future of democracy. I get it. I live there. I, that's all out of my sphere of control. Here's the one thing I can do. I can look actively for the glory of God and give thanks. So start doing that because that will change you and a changed you will change your sphere of influence and a changed sphere of influence will change the world. But it starts with us waking up and paying attention to the glory of God who's all, it's all around us. Jesus said it this way, actually. He who has ears, let him hear. Eugene Peterson said it this way when he translated Jesus. He says, hey, God is speaking. Are you listening? Are you really listening? And it's a really important question because in John 3, Jesus says, Here's the kind of the summary judgment of the world. Light has come into the world, but humans love darkness rather than light. So the light's here, and we choose darkness. And I want to just stop here and kind of think through this with you, because when I say we choose darkness, our temptation is to run to what I call kind of these kind of premier banner sins, and we label stuff as darkness. For example, oh yeah, darkness. That means excessive drunkenness. That means running naked through a wedding of somebody. That means cheating on your taxes. That means shooting people. That means that guy at Buffalo. That's dark. That's the darkness, man. Yeah, don't do that. Hey, wait a minute. The vast amount of darkness that is in our world isn't that stuff. It's simply turning away from the light to triviality. So, you know, what is darkness for you? Could be Netflix, man. It's like, I'm so mesmerized by my social media feed and by, by, my, by, by my binge watching and by my hand wringing about the war in Europe and by my fear of the stock market, I'm so there that I, that I no longer am paying attention to the fact that every morning the sun comes up and I'm still breathing and I'm still drinking clean water and I still make eye contact with people and I'm still healthy and I'm still alive and the flowers still come every spring later this year, but still they come, right? And so, man, we need to wake up and pay attention because... Our failure to do so means we're not gazing at the glory of God. And, and our, our key to transformation is this gaze. So for this to work, I have to be no longer enslaved by my appetites for entertainment and distraction. And instead, kind of primarily, I primarily see myself as a worshiper. Every day, actively seeking the beauty and glory of, beauty and glory of God and paying attention and giving thanks so that includes like habits of formation, maybe scripture reading and meditation and, and developing a healthy relationship with creation. And so, you know, we, we want to we look at these things and, and, and work at them. So when you're beholding the glory of the Lord, 
two great things happen. First of all, we're told in the text, if I behold the glory of the Lord, I'm being transformed, watch me, from glory to glory to glory. In other words, more light is reflecting through me. So I have to turn away from all the distractions, pay attention to the glory of God, and respond to that glory. And as I pay attention, respond to that glory and worship, I'm being transformed. Yesterday, uh, I was sitting out on the patio, with, and I had a glass of water, and my granddaughter was sitting in my lap, and it was sunny, as you know, and she said to me, she said, oh, Papa, look, when the sun shines through the glass, the sun sees the water, that's what she said, the sun sees the water, and then the water makes a rainbow. Isn't that pretty? And I looked at it, I was like, that's not only pretty, that's a sermon illustration, man. And, and I come to you to, to, today to say, look, we turn toward the sun and the sun hits us and we're transformed. Are you with me? So to turn away from all my trivialities, pay attention to what Christ is revealing every day and, by the way, give thanks. Too often, we kind of go through life in a fog, I would say, and the glory is still there, but we're not, because we're not paying attention, we're not giving thanks. As many of you know, I really enjoy skiing, and this year we live in a place of endless winter, and so we were skiing as recently as Thursday, my wife and I, uh, kind of hiking uphill with our skis on and then, and then skiing down, and I was thinking about uh, a particular day this summer, because as you're hiking up, it's a bit more work, you know, than a lift. And I was thinking about how, oh, remember the good old days when you could just sit and get carried up? And I remember one time being uh, in line this summer, or th- this winter, on a, on a Wednesday, and it's beautiful snow, and there's fresh powder, and there's snow on the trees, and it's also, the sun has come out, and it's cold, and it's just, it's like perfect, right? And uh, because it's perfect, there's more people than usual. And I'm listening to these two people in front of me in line on this perfect day. And this guy, they're snowboarders, by the way. So what can you expect? And this guy, he goes, he goes, this sucks. That's what he said. And then they start whining about the length of the line. Ah, I hate this place. What are we doing here? You know, and then, and I'm thinking to myself, perfect snow beauty on the trees, sun shining. You're healthy enough to be here. It's Wednesday. I don't know what you do for a living. It's Wednesday. And all you can see is the line. I just wanted to shake him. Wake up, man. We're alive. God has made the season. There's a gift of snow. We get to do this. What a gift. Let's celebrate rather than complain. But when we're in this mode... We, we go deep down into this rabbit hole and all we see are the problems and all we see are the barriers and all we see is a culture collapsing and we whine and we miss the glory and I'm just telling you, the glory is only made real in your life to the extent that you turn away from the darkness toward the light and make an active habit of beholding. Behold in meditation, behold in prayer, make a gratitude journal, make a photo journal maybe every day, take a picture, maybe make a covenant with your spouse. We will share before we go to sleep one way we saw the glory of God today. Just do something so that you're formed by glory because it's that glory that's transformative, right? 
So that's the first thing. The second thing is we need to learn to release. And by release, I mean release your past. And it's because of the second text that was read. Again, Paul writing to the Christians in Philippi, he says this, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the high calling of life in Christ. Philippians 3, 12 to 14. I just want to suggest to you that forgetting your past is a very important part of every soul's journey to maturity. And this on the surface is going to sound very uh, contradictory to some of the things that we do around here. In our ancient past ministry, we talk about your, unpacking your story, uh, doing your life map, looking back on your life, seeing how you were shaped by your past. Uh, and, and now I'm saying forgetting. Listen, don't take the word forget literally here. This is not a call to amnesia. This is a call. This, Paul is saying, I refuse to be defined by my past. This is very important. Why? Because in our past, due to living in a fallen world, we've believed all kinds of lies. Maybe we believe that love is only earned by performance. Maybe we we believe that the rewards only come to the smartest or the most athletic or the richest or the best looking. Maybe we believe that the only way to find comfort in this world is to self-medicate through some kind of uh, uh, unwholesome sexuality or some kind of food or some kind of drug or some kind of alcohol. And to the extent that we believe lies, we, we become informed by them, if that makes sense. So if I believe that love only comes through performance, I become a workaholic. If I believe that pain is only medicated uh, through alcohol, I become an alcoholic. And so I understand that these problems are more complex than that, but I want to say to you that the, the, our, our dysfunctional behavior has, as its root, has, has at its root some lies that we believe. And, and then, based on the lies, we end up doing wrong things. But here's the deal. Everybody does wrong things. When you look at the saints in the Bible, this is what you realize. Judah slept with his daughter-in-law and impregnated her and sold his brother as a slave. Peter denied Christ. David used his power to sleep with his neighbor's wife and then killed the husband and tried to cover the whole thing up. Abraham lied about the identity of his wife. Peter denied Christ. Paul was on a journey to murder and jail as many followers of Christ as possible when Jesus met him on the road. So it's never the point that you failed in the past. Why? Because we move forward, not backward. And, and the beauty of the gospel is this. You don't have to be who you were yesterday. This is completely contrarian to prevailing conventional wisdom, which says what? People never change. Have you heard it? Not true. If people never change, we don't even need to be here this morning. We, we are here because we believe in a trajectory of transformation from glory to glory to glory so that we become increasingly people of justice, mercy, hope, hospitality, and joy, right? So, so we don't want to be defined by our past, but we have to, in order to move forward, deal with our past. How, what does that look like? It looks like 1 John 1, 8 and 9. In 1 John 1, this is what we, this is what we read. Uh, If we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. Have you blown it? Yeah. So have I. But the point is not whether you have failed or not. 1 John 1, 9 says this. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So have I blown it? Yes. It's not the question. 
The question is, have you moved on? And what moving on means is this. I own my sin. I confess my sin. I fix things that have been broken because of my sin. And I move on. I'm not defined by who I was yesterday. Paul is saying in Philippians 3, he's moved on. He's not defined anymore by the fact that he wanted to murder and imprison Christians. He's not there. He's moved on. He's not defined by his failures. Neither should you be. He's confessed them. He's renounced them. He's fixed them, and he's doing the work to be utterly free from them. That's what it means uh, to move on. This is really important in our moment because both the left and the right have kind of a, a, a misguided understanding of what it means to move on. It, when the left applies cancel culture to people because of what they did 10 years ago, they're saying, I don't want to listen to you now because you did or said that then. Listen, everybody said stuff. Everybody did stuff. You can find a tape of me preaching in 1998 and say, heretic. And I would say to you, you're right. Hopefully I've learned. Hopefully I've changed and moved on. So we can't be defined by our past, which is a tendency in cancel culture. But on the right, also it's true. We can't be defined by ignoring the past. Paul doesn't ignore his past. He's brought his past into the light and has dealt with his past. So when we say our racism, you know what? Uh, The Civil War ended in 1862. Why are we still having this conversation? I'll tell you why. Because in Buffalo, there's dead people because of racism that's still here. And it's not just a kid's problem. It's the culture that creates the kid. Are you with me? So we have to continue to bring into the light systemic issues, continue to collectively confess sin so that we can move forward. So we neither get involved in cancel culture, which offers no forgiveness ever, nor denial culture, which says we're all beyond it without any confession. Yes, we're free from the past after we confess, after we restore, after we heal, after we have the hard conversation, after we receive forgiveness. Release your past. And not only your past failures, but your past successes. Paul says in Philippians 3, 1 through 8, hey, I've had a good life. You know, in my past, I, I had a reputation as, you know, super righteous, and I had kind of, I was in the halls of power in the religious subculture that is Judaism, and I was born in the right tribe, and so I had prestige, I had influence, and he said, you know what? It's done. I'm done with all of that. I have a new calling now, and my new calling is to gaze at the glory of God and be transformed by that. I'm moving forward, and I'm forgetting my past, forgetting my past successes and failures. I'm not defined by who I was. I'm defined by who I'm becoming. I hope that's all of us in the room. Jesus said it this way, Take no thought for tomorrow. Deal with today. This is the day you're being transformed. This is the day the Lord has made. Whatever your hand finds to do today, do with all your might. It's this trip to the doctor. It's this preparation of a meal. It's this walk around Green Lake. It's this CrossFit workout. It's this moment of intimacy. It's this moment of digesting the scripture. It's this moment of giving thanks. Whatever, it, whatever is this moment, be there. Because that's where transformation is going to happen. And then finally, as we close, there's this word, Romans 12, offer your body to God. We're told in Romans 12 to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. I'll just say to you, everything that's ultimately visible in our lives is only visible to other people because it's seen through our bodies. 
You have a mind, but nobody reads your mind. They only know what's going on in your mind to the extent that you use words. So it's your, it's your words, it's your essays. That's how people know your mind. You have a love for beauty, but nobody knows about your love for beauty until you play your harp or take your photos or make your cookies. Uh, you're heartbroken by suffering, but nobody knows that you're heartbroken by suffering until you, you cross that social divide and serve the least of these. In other words, watch this. Your body is your best doctrinal statement. Whatever you believe over here regarding the Nicene Creed, ultimately your values are on display in your outlook, in, in your checkbook, in, in, in your appetites. And if I say formation matters, but I don't spend any time giving thanks to the Lord in my body, then I'm deceiving myself. The proving ground for our formation is our body. So, offer your body to God every day. That's Romans 12. It's not a one-shot thing. It's a continual thing. Every day, we wake up and we say, God, it's your day. It's not my day. I'm here. I'm your servant. Whatever you want today. And so my time is not my own. My money is not my own. My vocational choices are not my own. My sexuality is not my own. I'm a steward, God, of the resources you've given me, but I want today to be an expression of your life. So may my words reflect your heart. May my actions reflect your actions. May my sensitivity to the Holy Spirit be your sensitivity so that when a person in need uh, is, when I encounter someone in need, I, I hear your voice and I go and I, and, I, and I act and I respond. I offer my body every day to God. That's our calling. And then the question becomes, not what do I want to do today, but where does my creator want to take me today? Where does my creator uh, want me to be investing my time and my money? What does my creator want me to consume today in my body? What food? What media? How does my creator want me to respond to the people that I encounter? I'm consciously in the morning offering my body to God. So there's this coffee and this little bit of reading in the Bible and this offering to God. God, it's, it's, not, it's not my day. It's yours, so, so take it. In Ephesians 4, 13 to 15, we're told that when we're mature, we're no longer tossed around by, by every wind that comes along. You can kind of see cultural waves that come along, right? And in our 24-7 news cycle and social media feed, the waves are tsunami size. And so in one minute, it's Ukraine. And in another minute, it's a Supreme Court leak. And in another minute, it's the January 6th hearings. And in another minute, it's transgender athletes. And in another minute, it's, an, it's another, it's just, it just comes, boom, 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 over and over again. And uh, every one of these issues kind of polarizes people, Right? The winds are dividing us. Paul says, listen, if you're stable, then you're not carried by every wind. You don't jump on every like news cycle bandwagon because you're not being shaped by the tsunamis 
and swept away into the most recent newsfeed. You're being shaped, formed by Christ. Second Corinthians 11 says it this way. My prayer for you, simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So uh, as we close, there's a question in this response card that's in your bulletin, and the question is, what's my formation habit? Would you just ask that question? What habit in your life creates a culture so that Christ is shaping you, so that you're moving from glory to glory. Maybe it's a habit of Bible reading. Maybe it's a habit of meditation. Maybe it's a habit of paying attention in creation. Maybe it's a habit of gratitude. And if you don't have a habit, name it and contact us. We want to help you with those habits because our desire is to be a culture of formation so that everyone who is part of Bethany is shaped not by the winds of culture, but by the wind of the Holy Spirit filling us and transforming us. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you that uh, we gather here and we listen for your voice now. We pray that you'd speak to us and that we would be shaped to be people of hope, that you'd show each one of us clearly by the ministry of your Holy Spirit a next step to take. And we'll thank you as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.